Hey, hey, it's another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're looking high and low for entertainment in the Bundesliga. We're checking in on what is still, I would say, an intriguing title race, and we're searching for some signs of life down at the bottom end. At my side, in the podcasting space, all the way from Stavanger, it is Nick Wildhagen. Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for life. As I'm a nurse, so yes, yes, I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm good with that. Yeah, and, and I bet you recognize the signs of life uh, better than most of us. Breathing, pulse, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, they, they taught us some stuff in nursing school. <laughs> That's really complicated. <laughs> it is. I mean, there's the ABC, airways, breathing, circulation. I like it. I like it. So you learn something here, folks, not just about the Bundesliga, something useful too. This week in the Bundesliga, we did have Dortmund slipping on a banana peel. We had Bayern doing their ruthless efficiency act. And of course, Nick's boys involved in a shootout on uh, match day nine here on Talking Foosball. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball. This is the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day nine, of course. We, you know, we entered the weekend, turning our eyes to the title chase first. Bayern were holding a slim one-point lead over Dortmund. They had two points over on Leipzig. All three of these teams were playing against sides who are, let's just say, well out of the European reckoning at the moment. So, I think it was fair to expect that we would be in a pretty similar place after the weekend. We kind of are. We kind of aren't. Huh. What did you make of this this constellation, Nick? You know, to be honest, um, Hertha Berlin, I think they've been punching below their weight. Uh, They have sort of been um, not getting the sort of results they should have gotten in terms of the play they've produced on the pitch. So that draw in Leverkusen was maybe not that surprising a result given the the team's actual strength on the pitch. Um, I'll take that compliment any day. Having said that, Köln hadn't won in Dortmund since 1991. That is, if you're a mathematician, that's almost 30 years. (laughs) We're getting back, way back. I mean, when the last time Dortmund lost to Köln at home, I was five years old. And, you know, uh, you know, back Back then, uh, Germany had just been reunified. I think it was actually the case that the the DDR Oberliga had its last season back then. That's how far we have to go back in history to to see another Dortmund defeat against Köln at home. So yeah, so that was uh, quite astonishing from a statistical point of view, and quite astonishing given the the actual start to the season Cologne have had so far. Indeed. I was pretty much taken aback by that result. I have to admit that I, that was not the game that I originally planned to be watching uh, on, on Saturday morning. But uh, I, I turned my attention to it at least partially by the end because I, I saw the score and I was like, what's going on here? Why don't we crack on and talk about uh, Dortmund versus Cologne? It was, as you mentioned, it was a 2-1 win for Cologne in Dortmund. Wonder of wonders. But basically, this is this is just Dortmund falling prey to their old malady. They're dropping points against sides they have no business dropping points to. You know, they did it in the way that they often do, which is to say they dictated open play pretty consistently. They created enough chances to win this game easily, but they didn't convert them, and they let their guard down at two critical moments to let Cologne score. I mean, Nick, I, I called this a banana peel at the beginning of the podcast, not just because it was a slip-up from Dortmund, but because, on the one hand, it was a very predictable pratfall, and, and on the other hand, it, it is still funny. <laughs> um, unless you're a Dortmund fan, 
uh, it never really gets old. It is sort of funny. Whenever Dortmund get back into the race, they have that sort of match against Paderborn, Köln, what have you. Oh, yeah. Uh, it could be Augsburg. could Augsburg, be Mainz. Mainz, you know. yeah. And uh, you, as always, predictably, the, they fall at, at those hurdles. And uh, statistically speaking, it's actually quite astonishing. Uh, Tobias Escher had up a tweet um, saying that, uh, you know what, Borussia Dortmund have lost 14 matches under Favre. And that, that's not... A bad result, given that he's been it there sounds pretty good for this almost is the third season, three years, yeah. But when you look at those fourteen defeats, four of them were to Bayern, which is okay. It's okay to lose four four times against Bayern and five outings. Two were against Hoffenheim, maybe not that great, but even still, um, it's the sort of team you can lose against. One was against Bayer Leverkusen. Sure, you can lose one out of five matches against Bayer Leverkusen, but then seven of those. Other defeats were against bottom half sides. That's too much. That's too much. And you know what? You can go on about Favre not being able to win a championship winning side and all that kind of tabloid crap. But to be honest, I I went back further and saw this sort of thing was happening in the last three or four years under Jurgen Klopp as well. It's sort of become ingrained into the Borussia Dortmund DNA. In this particular game, as you said, uh, set pieces. Criminal not to be able to defend set pieces against such a side. Because let's be honest, what sort of weapon do those sides have going for themselves against Borussia Dortmund? Set pieces. Yeah. It's sort of like you get a set piece and you try to score from that. And at the back, you just try to shut up shop. You're not going to go out there at the Signal Iduna Park, trying to press Dortmund high up the pitch, trying to create something out of open play. That's not what any of these sides are trying to accomplish. But set pieces, you always get a corner kick. You always get a free kick that you can swing in from 30, 40 yards out. And conceding these goals, and conceding them in similar fashion as well. Oh, I mean, I, I would argue not just similar. You, you, look, you think about what happened here. It was essentially Andre Duda taking a corner kick, Hannes Wolf <laughs> doing a flick header from the from the near post to the back post. And, you know, the first one was hit cleanly, more or less, by Elias Schiri to, to score that first goal. The second one, it was almost covered. I mean, Berkey got a little piece of it on its way <laughs> over to Schiri. Schiri had to take one touch to settle it, but he did and still had time to put it in the back of that. This was essentially, you know, one of the, the more simple uh header or sort of a corner routines that that a team can do i mean it's it's a little contingent in that you have to get a good flick header uh, to make it work and a lot of times those don't work out but these were almost carbon copy goals yeah and that's not supposed to be happening if you are you know trying to win a championship it's not good enough it's not going to cut it but you know as, as i've said it's uh, you know you can go on about Faber not being the sort of coach who but you have to wonder, is it something about the attitude of the players? Or is this sort of, I, you know, I don't have, I haven't looked too much at those four, seven defeats. Is it a sort of a theme of all of these seven defeats that it's always set pieces? Or was it just this particular match where the set piece work done in training wasn't brilliant? And, um, you know, having said that, set piece work is usually done by assistant coaches, not main coaches. Mm-hmm. Maybe we got to take a, l- a little closer look at the uh, the Arbeitsverteilung <laughs> in, <laughs> in Dortmund. I mean, you, you know, I'll give you, give you another example. Uh, Werder Bremen, they, they conceded a lot of 
golds on set pieces last season. Now Florian Kofeld has taken that over and that has improved things. So um, if, if, if that is a problem, maybe Lucien Favre should look into that. But, um, you know, it's sort of sad to see for, for Dortmund fans. I, you know, this week, Aki Watzke talked about, you know, our time will come. We will win that championship once again. And predictably, this happened. A performance from Erling Braut-Holland, who, um, I guess my way of putting it, he's, he's, he passed the reverse Turing test this week. He proved that he was not a machine, missing a couple of, you know, pretty, pretty good chances, especially one towards the end of the game, which I think, if I'm not mistaken, was rated at 0.8 XG. It was basically... It's better than a penalty, you know, yeah. <laughs> three, four yards in front of goal with nothing in front of him. I mean, obviously the ball was was coming at him in, in a somewhat spicy way and he was not, you know, prepared to, to take it. And, and that was probably why he didn't uh, get a good clean hit, hit the back of the net. But nonetheless, uh, usually makes those. It does. And, uh, you know, as we said, Dortmund, higher XG than Cologne, should have done better. Into You know, they had enough chances to score three or four goals themselves. And if they had, we wouldn't be talking that much about those two set pieces. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think on another day when, you know... Dortmund didn't have the machine works <laughs> when the machine works and the you know there, there are one or two fewer blackouts uh, on on corner kicks this would just be another routine result for them but that, that's not how things played out um briefly did you see anything from Cologne other than you know a sort of a degree of taking their their few chances you know on on these corner kicks and and a degree of grit because I don't want to say that Dortmund. Um, I mean, this was not a performance where they they would have romped to a, you know a five nil victory. It was not that kind of dominance. I mean, this has got to be a real positive sign for Cologne, a team who had been starved of positive signs uh, early this season. Well, what remains strange for me about Cologne is the fact that the, you know whenever I've watched them, even against sides like Werder Bremen, that tactic seems to be that they don't want to do anything for the game they they just want to defend they want to lay low they want to get that one or two counter attacks and take their chances and have low scoring games you know that in the end in most cases you'll be found out because if you don't have periods of, of your own pressing game being sustained up up front if you don't create anything by yourself most sides in the Bundesliga are actually going to get the better of you for me this is sort of uh, you know, isolated speaking, it's sort of a freak result as we sit here and talk about this match day. But, you know, I mean, it it's can sort of spark on a revival and it can give those players a lot of confidence that they need. And, you know, when whenever you are down there in the dumps, what, what needs to come first are the results and the pretty football might very well follow. But so far, I haven't seen anything from Cologne this season that shows me that they are actually the sort of th- side that could get out of the lower regions of the table, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, I think a very good result for them would simply to be staying in the league. And and I just had a terrible realization, one that um, you know seems to seems to plague me. Even when he was playing for my team, uh, I was constantly doing this. Marius Wolf, the, the man responsible for those two good flick headers, uh, which which helped uh, Cologne get two goals. I always call him Hannes Wolf. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just one of those things that that mean I'm maybe. Getting up in years. Mm, yeah, it, that's how it starts. That's how it starts. Indeed, indeed. Let's move on from that uh, that rather sad thought and and talk about the uh, the, the team whose whose performance I, I described as you know ruthlessly efficient. Um, and I and I do mean that 
in the sense that this was a pretty even game. And if, if you know, if you look at simply our best means of, of assessing chances, which is, you know, expected goals, we talk about it all the time, they did not have the better of things. And, and nonetheless, they got it done. It was a 3-1 win for Bayern München in Stuttgart. But it was a really pulsating game. I felt this was, was a lot of fun to watch. Stuttgart went up first. They did their sort of trademark quick strike thing with, uh, you know, Silas Wamagatuka putting in an absolutely sumptuous cross, which got to Tangi Kulabali, who, you know, poked it past Manuel Neuer. Kingsley Coman with an answer. Stuttgart, you know, seemed to get on level terms again a few minutes later when Philipp Förster put one in. But VAR stepped in and, and decided... Uh, it, it was not a good goal. We can talk about that in a moment, but you know where things went from then was was pretty interesting. Bayern were off the hook; they, they were on level terms. They got the go-ahead goal before the half through uh, Robert Lewandowski. Uh, Douglas Costa scored in the second half, and you know all that added up to mean that Bayern, who who as we mentioned were sort of outplayed in the chance creation department, made this look like a fairly comfortable win on the scoreline. I'm not usually a person who gets too worked up about VAR calls or about, um, you know, referees calls in general, unless, you know, maybe it's my team and I'm hot under the collar. But I do really find that the, the, the sort of narrative of this game was pretty profoundly changed in that, you know, Stuttgart were sort of posing a lot of problems for Bayern in the early going. Both their sort of speed in their attacking moves and speed at like second balls and so forth. I mean, this was a, a great a great example of, of their sort of alertness and, and, and quickness of, of reaction. What did you make of this rescinded goal call? I mean, the coach, the sporting director, Stuttgart, not really happy about this, made their made their opinions known. What did you make of it? Well, listen, when it comes to refereeing calls and when it comes to VAR, what we were being sold is that, well, hey, unfairness from football, it's going to be gone. But, you know, what makes a clear-cut mistake is still up to the eye of the beholder, in this case, the video assistant. And what he sees as a clear-cut mistake might very well not be regarded as a clear-cut mistake by the next video assistant. So you are going to get differing calls. So what you effectively have done is that you have sort of moved the source of the error from the playing field to Basement and Cologne. And here, you know, I mean, that 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 so-called foul on Manuel Neuer for the, the goal that was rescinded, I think it's a harsh call. I think that goal can stand. Uh, you know, if you're very literal, yeah, sure, maybe you can ca- call it a foul, but, I, you know, I, I didn't see, see anything wrong with that. In the second half, Stuttgart even had a penalty call. Nicolas Zula with his hands nearly close enough to his body from what I was, you know, thought I knew when I read those IFAB instructions for how handball handball penalties should be given. But no VR interception, which struck struck me as odd because I think at that stage it was still 2-1 for Bayern in the game. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they then went on and scored the third, putting the game out of doubt. So I understand Stuttgart's you know, madness about these calls. But then again, I think we have just moved the, the you know, the arrow from, from the playing pitch to basement. And um, in the end, it sort of yields the same results in many cases. And it's not really a great help. But overall, we can say that VR has made the game somewhat fairer, I would say. Yeah, I, I 
on the whole, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it as well. But there are particular games where you will get a confluence of two or three calls, which are sort of judgment-ish calls, which, as you say, quite right, rightly, applies to almost all calls. Let's be honest here. Um, but, you know, when they, when they happen to favor one side, especially the favored side, it does leave a, a bit of a bitter taste. And obviously, I'm more interested in good narratives than I am in, you know, caring about who wins other than when it's my team. Yeah, you're journalist. Um, so obviously, <laughs> I want to. I want to see. I want to see Byron. Uh, you know, drop points. I want to see uh, the, their their injury crisis, which we will be talking about uh, shortly. You know, equal trouble in terms of results, and not just oh well, didn't they just they squeak that one? But hey, I mean, we we have one good narrative that we could you know dwell about a little bit about is it's the fact that Bayern actually conceded the first goal of the match for the third game in the row. Sure, yeah. I mean, they are sort of out of it in terms of that because that's not typical for Bayern to concede that first goal. And they looked out of it against Bremen. They looked out of it against Stuttgart. So they got four points from those games. But, you know, that it could have very easily, if things had gone slightly different, could have very easily been one or zero points. So that in itself, if Bayern who have an injury crisis on their hands, who have a jam-packed schedule, who have their most important player in Joshua Kemmich out for some time to come. If that continues, we might very well get to that good narrative that you were talking and alluding about. Yeah, well, let's let's try and juice. Let's try and juice that narrative as best we can. <laughs> we've, already, we've already talked about how, how Byron have kind of gotten out of jail free. I mean, you know, that both of the last couple of weeks' performances were not really the dominant sort of performance that we would expect from Bayern against uh, a mid-table or a lower-table side, whatever way you want to look at Stuttgart and Bremen. But we do definitely have some some concrete problems. You mentioned uh, Joshua Kimmich, who is, you know, I, it's, it's indefinite exactly when he's going to be back. It was a pretty serious injury. Uh, we've got various uh, levels of seriousness in the injuries to, in this game alone, Luca Hernandez, Jerome Boateng, Corentin Tolisso, and Javi Martinez. Uh, also, you know, just perhaps out of, out of caution, uh, Robert Lewandowski and Leon Goretzka are staying home from Bayern's trip to uh, Madrid to take on Atletico. On, on Wednesday. I mean, obviously that game doesn't mean a whole lot because Bayern have just been mopping the floor with their group and it doesn't really matter what result they get there. But slowly but surely, there might be something to this idea that, that Bayern don't quite have the squad depth that they might need to deal with this, this torrent of fixtures. <laughs> but then again, who has? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be my point. Um, <laughs> Come on! Absolutely. I mean, these sort of injury crises and teams having four or five key players out at a time, this was always going to happen throughout the entire season. And Bayern are now the first team that has been hit by it quite badly. But at other times, you will see the same thing happening at Dortmund. You will see the same thing happening at Leipzig. So it's sort of going to be a continuous problem throughout the entire season. And hey, that is where maybe signs like Bremen, Stuttgart... Um, Freiburg, uh, Hoffenheim, uh, sites who don't necessarily play in international competitions come can come in and pose trouble for Bayern. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that there will be opportunities. Um, you know, um, just the last two weeks, I think we've seen two teams who have 
pretty pretty profound limitations, but also who can play some pretty good football on their day. Gave Bayern a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, and you know, next next week they they've got the lap match against RB Leipzig coming up, and you know that is going to be a test for both teams because I think we we are we might as well segue into the next match, which is RB against uh, Amelia Bielefeld. Yeah, and there we have actually a listener question about. RB Leipzig and their particular form. Yeah, yeah. I mean, f- first let's just quickly, quickly gloss over what happened in this game. I mean, Leipzig did win. It was a, it was a two-one win at home over Bielefeld. Didn't really look as dominant, for example, as Leverkusen had against uh, against Bielefeld last week. I mean, Bielefeld couldn't get a look in at all uh, in that game, but were pretty lively in in Zoxen this week, especially in the second half. But still, you know, not enough to take points. Just to cut to that listener question, Chase, and I do think that that was uh, quite worthwhile. This came from Bill Reese in in New Jersey, who simply asks, are Leipzig really that good? They have beaten only one top 10 club this season thus far, FC Augsburg, who, you know. I might not be uh, in know. the top 10 for the, for the rest of the season. <laughs> Maybe they were at the time. I, you know, I, I wouldn't even necessarily classify them as, as, uh, as a team that, is really in the hunt for anything. They have struggled or lost against the top teams that they've faced, and they almost conspired to blow a two-goal lead to Bielefeld. Uh, that, that's what happened this week. What is your take on this this spin? Yeah, I mean, that match against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach was a tight one. They lost 1-0 in that one, uh, so they could have easily gotten a point from that one. But yeah, the, what it actually tells us is that the schedule has actually been kind to Leipzig so far. They have been facing... You know, the lower half teams. They have been facing teams in crisis. And now they have Bayern München coming up. So I think it's going to be a good test for both teams because on the one hand side, you have Bayern München with all those injury troubles. On the other hand side, you have RB Leipzig who have sort of struggled against the big boys whenever they've come up against them in the Champions League and in the Bundesliga. So now they they have their work cut out for them in, in that regard because if there's a good chance of getting three points out of Bayern... It would be right about now. So if they don't, it might tell us a thing or two about their particular form and what that's going to look like going forward. So yeah, absolutely. Great question. Um, and, you know, as, as for the match, yeah, Bielefeld, <laughs> they are showing grit. Uh, I mean, they, they were 2-0 down against Wolfsburg as well, got a goal in that match as well. Now they have Fabian Klaus scoring, who finally, finally, finally got his first goal in the Bundesliga with his, I think, 10th shot, which you know shows that he's not necessarily been given the sort of service that he needs to score those goals. But yeah, finally, Fabian Klaus, the, the guy who's played football in the Kreisliga, which is so far the down the division system, most people wouldn't know where to find tables of the Kreisliga. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm scrolling down the kicker homepage uh, right now, in <laughs> fact, and and it's not there. You have to go to a couple of uh, you know nested menus in order to find the Kreisliga. Fußball.de is a good is yes. a good, yes, good starting is. point. It is a good resource. Thinking about Leipzig, I'm still not ready to say that they aren't a good team. I think that um, you know, obviously, they, you only play. The teams that are that are that are set in front of you, but we've seen them put in some good performances uh, in the Champions League against good sides. We've also seen them put in some not so good performances there. But I'm not ready to say that they aren't a team who is who is the match of of a, of a really good. Uh, side like Bayern Munich. I mean, I'm looking very much forward to that game. If Bayern play like they did 
against Stuttgart and Bremen. Leipzig will beat them. I don't know that that's going to be uh, what, what happens on the night. Any hay to be made over, you know, <laughs> a couple of things. One being your boy <laughs> Zerlot uh, not getting off the mark via a penalty kick. And uh, meanwhile, you know, the, the guy who they didn't spend, uh, you know, 20 million plus on as a striker, their, uh, you know, left wing back, <laughs> Angelino, <laughs> their leading scorer, gets his fourth of the season. Well, as for Serlot, never ever take a penalty when you're the one who's been fouled. It's an unwritten law of football, and it's surprising to see how often it actually uh, is true that people who've been fouled and step up to the mark and take the penalty miss those penalties. Having said that, the run-up to the penalty that was given was actually portraying Serlot at his very best. I mean, at first he won a duel in the air against Van Drongelen, headed the ball into his own path, and then he took on Pieper and the the other central defender of the Bielefeld defense, left him no choice but to give away, away that penalty. So that in itself, if he had had the good sense of not taking the penalty himself, uh, we would have talked about how great a performance that was in terms of creating that chance for his team. But then he goes and steps up and ruins it. <laughs> but he, mark my words, he will get off his mark. He will get off his mark very, very soon. I think that goal is forthcoming. It will, it, and when, it, when it comes, there will be plenty more to follow. I, I see that much promise in him. But um, as for Angelino, yeah, absolutely. Spectacular player. And very efficient this season. Who knew that he could score that many goals? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I'm. He's turning into one of my, uh, you know, favorite players uh, just to to watch. Uh, Probably a good pick for your fantasy team. I would reckon so. Although, although we'll leave that to the experts, uh, who whose podcast appears on Thursdays slash Fridays. Tune in on Thursday, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one thing, one good piece of news for uh, Zerlot after, you know, he basically tore up the Turkish league. He's going back to Turkey this week. Leipzig are playing in uh, in Istanbul against Başak Şehir. Maybe, you know, the familiar confines uh, over there are, are going to do him good. Maybe he'll get off the mark there and then take that form back to the Bundesliga for their their big match against Bayern. You, you would hope so. But I mean, can, can I just say, and this is slightly off point of the mark, but can I, can I just say that I really despise that particular Champions League group. Oh, yeah. Because the <laughs> side they're facing in Turkey, it's it's Recep Erdogan's team. Yeah. Who, you know, is, you know, sort of like Napoleon, but just more vicious. A small man with the dictatorial, well, not tendencies. He is a dictator, basically. Sure. Yeah. Then you have PSG, who's sponsored by Qatar. We know what they stand for. Then you have Manchester United, which is, you know, funded by the Glazer family, Republican donors and all that, despisable businessmen from the US, who have a Norwegian coach um, who actually right now is boycotting a TV station here in Norway because they ran a story about a woman who said she was raped by one of his former players at Molde, which led to Solskjaer actually demanding an apology, saying, I won't give any further interviews to that particular TV station. That TV station also holds the rights for the Premier League here in Norway. Which, you know, as things go, yeah, rape victims, they are despisable human beings. They shouldn't have their stories being told. Come on. Sad player, by the way. He left Norway on a transfer to a country that doesn't extradite people to Norway. I think he left for Turkey, actually. Uh, so, I mean, that in itself, and, you know, that the agent of the sad player was actually 
soldier's best friend, Jim Solbakken, who is an um, agent who could we could fill entire hours of stuff he's allegedly done, which have sort of been sort of shady. Is he relation to the other Stolbakken? No, I don't think so. Stalled? I don't think he's related to Stalder, no. But who knows? It's a, it's a small country. But, you know, I mean... <sighs> So that, that Champions League group, I want to watch the least amount possible of football coming out of that group. And if four teams could el- get eliminated from one group, please let it be this one. All right, let us, uh, l- let's wrap up our talk about the top of the table with a little bit about Leverkusen. They also had a very beatable opponent this week, and that was uh, Hertha BSA. They could have gone second in the Bundesliga if they had managed to do so, but, you know, Instead, they ended up playing to a very, very nervy nil-nil draw. Not a lot of good chances for either side in this game. Not a lot of highlights, to be honest. It was not the most satisfying way to spend a couple of hours. You know, this is this is a big, big miss for for uh, Labor because not only from the perspective that they could have, you know, got one over on on a couple of teams and, and put themselves in a very good position to sort of solidify their chances to stick around in the the, the top four, but you know, it, it was just not a very dynamic performance from, from a team who has been sort of building towards something in recent weeks. I know that there was some injury trouble, granted, but I, I thought that this was uh, a big miss for them. Indeed. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You have to say that. But, uh, you know, as I said at the top of the show, I think Hertha have sort of been underperforming. And in the end, uh, you, you would say that Hertha might have been due for such a good result. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't necessarily argue with that. I was happy to see them put in this, you know, sort of their second clean sheet of the season. The first one being as it was against Augsburg, I didn't really read a whole lot into that because that's not, you know, that's not a sort of uh, high octane uh, attack. But uh, if you can do that against Leverkusen, especially in Leverkusen, I think that actually does say something. And this makes me feel a lot better about their game on Friday, which (laughs) looking at recent form, does not favor them. This is a big game against uh, Union, and it's not a great way to head into it. Basically, they have half as many points as Union do on the table. And uh, how are you looking at that? It's a derby. And I, as I said, I think uh, Hertha have underperformed. They have had some decent performances in matches where they should have taken points. You know, we look quite often at the XG, and that tells us that Hertha have been underperforming. They should have had more points. But yeah, Union on the other hand side, they have one of the most lethal attacks in the league right now, surrounding one magnificent Max Cruiser. So it's going to be an um, exciting game. But as things stand, it's it's a Berlin derby. And even without spectators, it's going to be probably a raunchy affair because a lot is at stake for both of these sides. Yeah, I'm, I'm told that one of the things that's giving you uh, a degree of confidence for uh, for Hertha's future in the coming weeks is uh, that beautiful new uh, camel overcoat that uh, that Bruno Labbadia was sporting on the sideline. He, I, he, I thought he was looking pretty sharp. He was. I mean, that sort of exudes confidence and that spreads to the players, at least if you believe <laughs> the tabloid media. And I totally nice. do. So this is a narrative that's not entirely coming from, from you. It's all, it's, uh, it's, it's been filtered through maybe the Bild Zeitung. Yeah, I, I was a Berliner Zeitung, Bild Zeitung, which is basically the same thing. Sure. I mean, yeah, um, yeah but I, I believe whatever those papers are writing because um, they're brilliant. They give me my opinions. I mean, Bild's slogan used to be Bild dir deine Meinung, which means build your opinion. But also, could, if you inserted a comma in there, it could also mean 
built, we give you your opinions. There's something to that. Indeed. But yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, all, all jokes aside, I think it's going to be an exciting match. And I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. All right. Uh, we will be talking about the other half of that in just a moment. All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball. We're talking about the rest of uh, the match they just gone. You know, there were a couple of really nice sort of bananas games uh, this weekend, ones that had lots and lots of goals. And I don't mean bananas uh, as in peel, but bananas as in, you know, delicious tropical flavor. And this game, I think, represented that the most and that was really you know, a, a fine, balanced flavor. Union versus Eintracht. This was a 3-3 draw in the end. A total slugfest. Lots of twists and turns. Union go up 2-0 early. Frankfurt then draw level through an Andre Silva double uh, in, in the first half. Bastost puts the Eagles up with 11 minutes left, but, you know, you're not going to finish this game without Max Kruse having something to say for himself. <laughs> <laughs> he, my God, this was a town tour. This was a dream goal from a player who is really, he is the answer to <laughs> to all of Union's dreams of having a, a legitimate attack. It's really working. It is. And, you know, as um, I'd rather watch a season of Max Caruso on the pitch than a season of anything else on television right about now, because he is just that good and uh, you know there was some talk about him going to Verda at the start of the season and uh, you know most Verda fans if you if you get them a little bit down in the beers they would admit that Max Cruz in that sort of form would have made a massive difference to that attack but yeah uh, talk a little bit about this game what really struck me about it was the fact that Eintracht Frankfurt was so sloppy in defense they were you know the first goal clear-cut goalkeeping yeah. mistake Kevin Trapp not keeping hold of the ball just you know, trying to get get rid of it, basically, and it ends up with Andrich, uh, who just puts it uh, over the line from a very short distance. Then that penalty given away by Martin Hinteregger, completely needless. Yeah, so, I mean, four minutes gone, Eintracht Frankfurt had already dug a grave for themselves, and uh, when they got out of it, took Union one moment of brilliance to, to equalize. So, yeah, I think Frankfurt are probably going to be the more disappointed side of, of the two of them, because, you know, they worked so hard to turn this around, but in the end... Only one point to show for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine that that Eintracht will be looking at this in any other way besides, uh, you know, a missed opportunity. Because anytime, anytime you go down that early, that big, and, and then manage to take the lead and you can't bring it home has has really got to hurt. I do think, on the other hand, that, that Union are, are probably going to be feeling like uh, they kind of got away with this in that, you know, if, if you go ahead 2-0 after less than five minutes, that's, that's the kind of uh, scoreline that the old Union, let's just say, the, the, the Union that was pretty much focused on making life difficult for uh, their opponents and not much else, that, that old Union probably would have figured out a way uh, not <laughs> to, to give up three goals and have to be bailed out by, by a, a sort of dream strike. So I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly see Union heading into the derby with an advantage. They're in much better form and they are going to have, you know, I don't know, other than perhaps uh, Mateusz Cunha, who, you know, has had a couple of weeks where he's not quite as scintillating. You know, Max Kruse, you have to say he's, he's the most dangerous player on the pitch, most likely in that game coming up. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, Cunha, he can turn on the magic too. So it's it's going to be a scintillizing duel between the two of them. Because at their best, both of them are magic. 
Indeedy. Let's uh, let's talk about the other sort of magical game. Speaking of magic, this one went up on uh, Friday night, so it is sort of receding into the mists of all of our memories. Although probably a little bit clearer in yours than in mine. Five three win for Wolfsburg uh, at home to Werder Bremen. This was kind of like a, a back and forth kind of a game that then just got away from you guys. I mean, if you want to start with the positive for Werder Bremen, they basically scored three goals with two shots which um, <laughs> yeah. in, in itself is uh, quite extraordinary. Um, well, may, I mean, in, in, in a manner of speaking, John Brooks's uh, own goal was so well taken that you maybe should count it as, as a shot for fair to Bremen. I mean, if, if a striker had gotten onto that, that pass into the area and wanted to place the ball inside the goal, he couldn't have placed it much better than that, for sure. But, you know, having having said that, Wolfsburg really were helped by the fact that Werder Bremen went asleep whenever they scored a goal. I mean, that slumber lasted for five or six minutes after the first goal, which saw Wolfsburg then go up 2-1. Two, two, Kevin Merwald came on in the first half, had at home a brilliant, brilliantly taken corner kick by, by Ludwig Augustinsson. He's sort of turning himself into the assist king for Werder Bremen right now. And, you know, after that, Vertebrae went straight back to sleep, conceded the third. After the 3-3, th- three, three, they once again conceded another unnecessary goal by Weghorst, um, you know, who was singled out by Florian Kofeld ahead of the match, saying that it was important to stop him. Well, he got two goals in this match. And in the end, Merwald made matters worse when he sort of was sent off for a second tactical foul, leaving Werder with two 10 men chasing a you know, Wolfsburg lead and, you know, it ended the way it had to end. Wolfsburg were given plenty of room for counterattack and Bielek put put the game to bad, basically. But yeah, it was it was sort of a match where the chances were extremely well taken. If you look at the XG, I think Wolfsburg weren't even over two. Werder were slightly over one. The XG made this seem like a normal match. <laughs> so the fact that it was an eight goal thriller. It was, it's, in terms of the XG, it should, should have sort of been a 2-1 2-1 or 3-1 win for Wolfsburg but in the end it was a 5-3 win which you know it was just extremely 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 effective finishing on both ends and you know Wolfsburg had the better of most of the match so a deserved win for the Wolves and you know they, they're still unbeaten and um, yeah they they are the sort of team that could very well attack for European berth this season yeah yeah and they've now snatched the title of uh, the, the best green team in Germany uh, away from Bremen and, and will, I guess, be holding it until, until the next time they play. Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, a team who, who use green as an accent color, which is to say uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. They got a nice 4-1 win on the weekend. Not really shocking to anybody considering it was uh, against Schalke 04, who, what's it been now, 25 games without a win. Really unsatisfying match, I, I suspect, for Schalke fans, considering uh, they actually came out of the gate looking okay. Uh, they played for the first half an hour or so pretty well. It was, you know, uh, they, they were level at 1-1. And then as soon as as Borussia Mönchengladbach got that second goal, uh, maybe 35, 36 minutes, Schalke's heads started to drop. And, you know, when they came out of the, the locker room for the second half, they basically you know, their heads were all the way down, all the way through that half. 
there's been a lot said already. I guess maybe we could go over the crazy week that Chalka had. You know, the fallout of that is is probably going to be taking some time. I mean, we we have everything from player suspensions to a player basically being released from his contract. We have a sporting director getting fired uh, this past weekend we had you know a, a talking head in germany get uh, into hot water for uh, describing some of the, the discipline problems there uh, as a, a cultural problem there's a, there's a lot of meat on the bone here do you want to sort of jump into any of this well let's just start off with saying that stefan freund is kind of an idiot yeah well you know, saying that, you know, he's he's Northern African. He's a hothead. When he doesn't play, he's not happy. Sure, sure. I, I mean, come on. What strikes me about some of these players is that their attitude might be bad, yes. But, you know, you've got plenty of players with bad attitude from all sorts of walk of life. So, um, sure. So, Let's just. Let's was, just was, was Albert Streit uh, from North Africa? He must have a mother from you know because he got busted down to the you know yeah yeah so let's yeah let's just leave it at that about Stefan Freund. But uh, as, as for the week that Chalk has had, I think the club has several crises going on at the same time. Yep, it has a leadership crisis in terms of what has been going on with Clemens Tönnies throughout the entire last season with the friends not wanting him there. And finally, uh, you know, racism didn't didn't manage to get him out from his position at the club. But, you know, when he started spreading COVID all throughout Germany, that was the final nail in the coffin for, for his position at Schalke. Then there's the financial crisis going on at Schalke, which means that they're sort of rather limited in terms of the personnel they can bring in through the doors. Then you have a crisis of leadership within within the you know squad planning in terms of Michael Reschke trying to do his job and con, you know being in utter conflict with Johann Schneider, which sort of the, those tensions have meant that the squad created for this season is slightly unbalanced. Additionally, you have a crisis of coaching going on. We you know not having won twenty five matches in a row now, and you know when they finally decided to pull the cord and release David Wagner, things were too late. Things had already gotten so badly out of hand that this team has shattered for confidence. This team doesn't believe in itself. The players, as we said, they the, the material there at the club maybe is not cohesive enough to form the sort of unit that a coach can work with. And... Additionally, there are also internal squad trouble, and that came to the forefront when the captain, uh, Benjamin Stamboli, who's said to be a softly spoken man, completely exploded during the halftime at Wolfsburg through a hissy fit. He was reprimanded for that, back into the team now. You had Harrod and Bantelep, uh, you know, being uh, sent to uh, individual training for, for the antics. Additionally, Ibisevic hot hat as well he got into a brawl with naldo was then released from his contract uh at the start of next year yeah it looks like cologne is uh, having a sniff around uh, vedo mm, yeah another crisis club uh spectacular so i i mean all all of that uh, all these things combined mean that the sort of environment at the club is not conducive to producing any sort of results and I know that Tasmania Berlin are starting to get livid because whenever the season starts, their winless run is sort of named as a record, which, uh, as they pointed out, gives them free publicity ahead of every season. But yeah, that that run of 31 matches might not be good enough anymore. 
looking at how Schalke are currently playing because what we saw of them when they conceded that second goal, yeah, heads went down, completely fell apart. Gladbach could have had more goals than those four and should have had more goals than those four. Yeah, I guess one one sort of interesting little uh, uh, side note tidbit. Shocking, unknown uh, deb- debutant player for uh, Schalke in this game, although maybe not shocking, shocking considering Schalke's uh, profound injury crisis uh, at, at striker. Matthew Hopp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And exactly. releasing everybody who could play <laughs> and sending them to individual training. I mean, yeah, that is. Um, you're going to see a lot of strange names on those team sheets going forward. Yeah, the, the strange name that I wanted to highlight because I think that people, um, you know, many many of our U.S. listeners are going to be interested in this. Uh, Matthew Hop. I mean, I, I don't even know whether you say his name Hop or Hoppy or Hoppa as it would be said in, in in German if he were German. He's not. He's from California. He, uh, you know, is is an American guy, uh, and there was pretty much you know, almost no prospect for him heading into the season of getting uh, significant first team minutes. But, you know, <laughs> at Schalke, when you had, I think, your first four or five, you know, sort of choices at striker being hurt, uh, sometimes you got to turn to, uh, you know, Matthew Hopp. I mean, this happened last season, to be to be fair, or the season before, when Haji Wright got some time uh, when when they were experiencing a similar uh, crisis uh, at striker. Didn't make a lot of his chance. You know, Matthew Hopp did not also do a lot in this game. He was, you know, he didn't exactly uh, put on an advertisement for his uh, continued um, starting for this team. Although he didn't... But again, you know, he didn't, who did... No, no, no. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to say that he stood out as, as, as a poor player in this game. But, you know, it, this was not. Uh, you know, Josh Sargent scoring on his debut uh, for, for, for Bremen. Uh, this was a guy who got a start basically out of default. Played almost the full ninety, which has got to be a real credit for him. But you know, Schalke have to be grasping at straws at this point. I mean, it, it, I don't understand. If they're going to be putting out, and let, let's be honest here, I mean, Arit, uh, Veda Abisevic, and Nabo Bentaleb. Um, I mean, Abisevic is gone, gone. He's he's old, so I guess they weren't expecting a whole lot of him. But, you know, I mean, Arit and, and Nabil Bentaleb, they are players who have had discipline problems in the past. I think Bentaleb has been, this is his fifth suspension <laughs> at Schalke. Um, and Arit is probably not that far behind. But... I think if we're honest, these are two of their best footballers as well. So, you know, throwing them out the window, I think maybe for, for you know, squad harmony might make sense. But in terms of actually creating chances, actually controlling the football uh, in an able fashion, I don't understand why Schalke isn't just bringing in as many, as many youth players as they can and giving them a chance because this is... This squad is not doing anything for me. I mean, that that might very well, if we're going five, six, seven, eight more matches down the line and we're still in the same position and, you know, Schalke are at the bottom of the table on four or five points, they might very well just say, screw it, playing for the Bundesliga 2 now and we're trying to integrate the young players and give them half a year of Bundesliga experience. I mean, this has happened in, in the past with clubs uh, seeing the writing on the wall with 10 or 12 matches to go and, you know, going for such a drastic turnaround. Because, as we said, there are so many different crises going on at Chalka. We could very well record an own podcast about that. And, you know, we will. We might very well do that. It might first appear on Patreon, but we might very it well be It might doing very that. well first appear on Patreon. So get on to that Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash talking foosball. 
sign up and you'll be probably getting 30, 45 minutes uh, about the crisis of Schalke because right now we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, you can never dive deep enough into the crisis at Schalke. <laughs> no, you can't. All right, we got two more games to briefly touch on. These were admittedly fairly low wattage games. I think in any season, uh, people will be looking at these uh, as, as sort of the shake at the bottom of the bag. Augsburg versus Freiburg. This is a 1-1 draw. Uh, Freiburg, you know, they, they let another game slip away. Ruben Vargas' late equalizer canceled out. Vinny Grifo's goal, uh, which had happened about 15 minutes before that. Freiburg, how concerned do we need to be about them? Mm, not really. Like I said, I mean, they're taking the leads in many matches. And, you know, yes, they've given up five leads, drawing four, losing one. But... um. Right now, I see so many poor sides down there in that dump that, you know, I think they might very well be doing well enough to stay out of, you know, the relegation fight or, you know, at least come out of it in 15th or 16th at the end of the season. All right. Not worried yet. Another 1-1 draw, Mainz 05 and uh, TSG Hoffenheim. I don't know about you, but Mainz, the last three games that they've had against, you know, sort of lower half sides, they seem to have found their footing a little bit. I mean, they, they've gotten two draws and a win. They are beginning to create chances a lot better than they were at the beginning of the season. Things are looking up as far as I'm concerned with Mainz. They do. I think they should have won this match. Yeah, uh, They had the chances. Uh, Mateta hit the post. Should have made it uh, two goals there for Mainz. Um, even had a man advantage. But yeah, I think they, they are looking better now. And it looks like Jan Moritz Lichter has uh, gotten the time he needed to get control of the situation. You know, installed that squad harmony that we talked about. Getting everybody pulling in the same direction. And uh, yeah, Mainz uh, look like they got have great use for Mateta and Quaison right now. So yeah, I, I think they, they have, you know, we talked about Mainz and Schalke, who of them is going to turn the corner when that Schalke Mainz game rolls around. Turns out we were right in predicting that's more likely to be Mainz. Hurrah! Yeah, it's the Mainz <laughs> way. We know something. You know, every time Mainz go out and, and get a coach from outside, <laughs> it doesn't work. And every time they promote their, you know, youth coach or their Zweite Mannschaft coach, if, if they give it enough time, it works, at least for a while, you know? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, it speaks to the fact that Mainz actually have invested in good coaches throughout their system, and that pays dividends, because if you would look at them more narrowly and, you know, look at the numbers and such, the fact that this sort of side has played in the Bundesliga for as long as it has is actually quite a spectacular accomplishment. Yeah. Yep, and and perhaps whatever the club culture they have cultivated there uh, over those over those years, what's it been 10, 12 years now? You got to respect it, mm. and and maybe maybe they should just trust themselves and and keep on keep on promoting those youth coaches up to the first team. Just just go with what works. You know what? I sense that there is some Patreon content about finances and you know exceptional performances coming up down the line. Mmm, chin scratching. All right, that is it for this edition of Talking Football, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Really good to uh, talk football with you, Nick. It's always great to talk some football. It's, it's starting to become a habit. I know, I know, I know. You can follow Nick uh, if you want to, uh, you know, hit him up or, or just, uh, you know, hear what he has to say from time to time, quite often about Verda Bremen, at Normusings on Twitter. And uh, hear plenty more of him on our Patreon page where, you know, he and I and many others have been contributing, although mostly Nick, to be honest. Uh, if you want to contact me, you can do that uh, at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. 
Uh, hit us up collectively, uh, of course, at Talking Foosball. Please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. Tell your friends about us. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all. Thank you.